I want to welcome you back this evening. Appreciate your attendance. Um, before we begin our lesson tonight, a couple of things to uh, housekeeping matters. The first is thank you to those of you who have taken the boxes, uh, all of them from the holiday basket boxes to the Pleasant Valley Elementary boxes. All of those seem to be gone. I want to gently remind you that uh, the holiday baskets were to be back returned today. So if you haven't done that, if you've got it at home, uh, you know, get it up here as quickly as you can. That'll be helpful uh, to remind you to return Pleasant Valley boxes uh, next Sunday. And um, there is another project just just off the, the foyer just a little bit, uh, the youth group doing their annual Christmas project and appreciate all of the teens and their families and their involvement in that. It's been a long-time tradition for Northsiders to think about blessing others instead of just being blessed. Of course, you'll be blessed if you do that. Um, so I would encourage you guys to get an envelope or two if you haven't and to encourage your parents to do the same. And if there are others who are here tonight who are not youth group, teen or parent of a teen or grandparent of a teen, I would encourage you, if you have a generous heart and you are so inclined, maybe go grab an envelope or two. Uh, they are taking donations and uh, you can leave them there and put them in the envelope, put them in a little box there or uh, hand it to uh, the Weathers or one of the parent team and they will see that it gets directed to the proper place and the proper people. It's always a good thing. Uh, there are a lot of giving opportunities, as, as was mentioned earlier. That really is a part of the DNA of Northside. We're just a, a giving congregation. And uh, since, you know, for, for as long as I've been here at Northside, we've been that way. And long before I was here, uh, Northside has always been a generous, giving people. Uh, much of that, the left hand has no idea what the right hand is doing, and that's good. Uh, that's the way God intended it, because that's where the blessing truly comes. But there are a lot of things that happen where everyone can take the opportunity to be involved, and we certainly would encourage you to do that. So if you haven't got a box or an envelope, uh, these are good opportunities to grow as a Christian. Uh, Jesus himself said, is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's not just about what you put in the plate. Uh, that's in all manner of life. Uh, it's better to give than to receive. Speaking of Jesus, we are studying his life, his teachings uh, from the gospel account of Luke, the gospel according to Luke, rather. And tonight we are in Luke chapter 20, if you want to turn there, as we <clears throat> move forward through our series called Life with Luke. We are just barely going to get all of Luke in in this year. Uh, Luke has been a long book. If you've been paying attention, if you're a textual person, you've noticed uh, there have been sections that I've just moved over just because there's simply not enough time to get through it all going verse by verse. But uh, we are taking uh, sections of, of the chapters as we go through. And tonight we're talking about a difficult and challenging issue. And you may not think it is. It's the issue of authority. And probably a Sunday night crowd would say, well, I don't really have an issue with authority. But my guess is, if you think about it long enough, you probably do. My guess is that um, you're okay with authority until um, 
someone with the, the city or the county sets a speed limit that you don't particularly like and you happen to be in a hurry, uh, you think, well, I, I like authority when I'm not in a hurry. My guess is that you are in agreement with the elders and, and like the decisions they make until they make a decision that you don't like and that you don't agree with and you, you, you question that. Um, a question, or my, my assumption is that you, you like the rules your parents make until uh, they make a rule that, that you don't like, that kind of intrudes on your life. You see, authority is one of those tricky things because it's never a problem until that authority exercises authority over us. And the Bible's quite clear that Christians are to be the type of people who live under authority, humbling ourselves. Uh, and the only exception to that being is if any authority above us makes a uh, decree or a ruling that defies a higher authority. So, uh, I, I was in teaching this group, I, I called this the, the sort of the authority pyramid. I had a cool PowerPoint graphic and all that, but basically, your parents right now are your authority in your family. Let's say your parents told you, you know, uh, we're, we're going to go over here to the gas station, and while I distract the clerk, we want you to steal uh, some food from the gas station. Just put it in your pockets, and they won't they won't judge you because you're a kid, and they probably don't suspect anything. You just, okay, well, that would be a violation. You shouldn't obey your parents in that specific instance because they're telling you to dis- disobey the laws of of the governing authorities. Uh, if the governing authorities were to say, you should not meet to worship God, you are instead to worship at the state-authorized church, uh, that's, that's an authority problem. That would be okay to disobey that, that law, just like Daniel and his, his friends uh, did when it was necessary. When they made a law against Daniel praying, he prayed anyway made a law saying to bow down to this idol, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego defied the order. And those instances where authority goes against the will of God is the exception. But generally speaking, we are to be people who submit ourselves to authority. And that's, that's easy to do until, until it's not, until it's difficult. Most people struggle with authority in some form. And most of us uh, struggle with it in a... Uh, we, 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 we are defiant in subtle ways. Not directly, not out and out, but just subtly defying authority. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, is authority and how we deal with it and what our responsibility is as people under authority. So we are in Luke chapter 20. Verses 1 through 18, we're going to go through this uh, just a little bit, one section at a time. The main problem is, as we said, uh, between Jesus and the authorities of the time. And we're going to start here in verse 1. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes, with the elders, came up and said to him, "Uh, Tell us, 
By what authority do you do these things? Or who is it that gave you this authority? Well, he answered, I will also ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? All right, so we we step into this first, and the problem that they had is the issue of authority. The, the irony, hopefully, is not lost on you that the authorities had a problem with the authority. And that is one danger, that people in authority forget that they themselves have people over them. We remember the story of the centurion who's commended for his faith earlier in Jesus' ministry. And what was commendable, what made Jesus take notice was the fact that the man said, hey, Jesus, you don't need to come to my house. Just say the word. I know who you are. You're a man of authority. I recognize that. I'm a man of authority. And people under me, I tell them go and they go and come and he comes and and I get that. And so I understand who you are. So just say the word. Don't trouble yourself with traveling all the way to my house. You don't need to do that. And Jesus said, wow, that's, that's tremendous. Well, here you have the people, the scribes, the chief priests, the elders, who in that time uh, under the law were to, to be the authority, the teachers, the rulers, the, the ones who taught God's word, and yet they had a problem with the word. It's really not just a problem for them. We can pick on scribes and Pharisees and elders, and sometimes they deserve that. But it's really a problem for all of us. When, when sin entered the world, we talked about this this morning, Genesis chapter 3, our problem with authority began with our ancient foe, that ancient serpent, asking a very simple question. Did God really say? That question, simple and harmless though it may seem, and certainly it appeared to Eve, cuts at the heart of all sin. It is the questioning of God Almighty. The questioning of His authority, His might, His holiness, His majesty, God really say? Did God really say? Most sins that we struggle with as people, all sin, has its root in defiance to God's authority. Luke, by the way, highlights several places noting Jesus' authority. Let's look at some because... You're a Sunday night crowd and you want to flip through the scriptures, so turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, verse 36. We're going to look at four examples. This is the first one when Jesus heals a man with a demon. And it says, verse 36, They were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. That's one of the uh, first places where we see authority was the people recognized his authority over the spiritual world. Turn to Luke chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. 
which is easier? This is uh, as Jesus heals a man who is paralyzed. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? Now, the question obviously can be answered by saying it's easier to say your sins are forgiven you. Because, you know, you, you don't really have to prove that. You can just say it and... People assume you're telling the truth, but if you say, rise and walk, well, there's only one way to show that you really have the authority to say that. Jesus says in verse 24, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them, and he picked up what had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. So Jesus showed his authority over the spiritual world and over the physical world. Turn to Luke chapter 7, verses 7 through 9. The story of, that we referred to earlier, of the centurion The centurion says to Jesus, Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my servant, Do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Last one, Uh, so Jesus showed his uh, authority over the spiritual world, over the physical world. Uh, It was recognized even by people who were not used to, may not necessarily have been trained in the authority of God. For, For the house of Israel, for children of Israel, they were taught this lesson from a very young age. Chapter 12, verses 4 and following. I tell you, friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus, having the authority of the physical world, the spiritual world authority is recognized even by godless people, reminds the people not to fear the Pharisees or the scribes or the elders, but to fear the Lord Almighty. And And I will tell you, In the church, we have not always done a great job at teaching this properly. We over-explain the idea of fear. We sort of water it down to mean respect, like respect like the President of the United States. You respect him. No, this is Almighty God. When Isaiah was in the presence of Almighty God, All he could do was say, whoa to me, whoa unto me. For I'm a man of unclean lips, among a people of unclean lips. 
when he was ushered into the full presence and majesty of God, he was overcome with fear. And it's our lack of fear. We don't want to talk about the reality of hell and the eternity of it and the finality of it. And yet that's just as much a part of the authority of God as anything else, as much as the love of God. So in these examples, Jesus showed many times, and it was recognized not just by Jesus and not just by his disciples, but by other people, the authority and the power of Jesus. And he pointed back to the authority of his Father. So when you and I have a problem with authority, there's really only one of two options. You can rebel, you can be defiant, and and hope you don't pay the consequences. Or you can yield to the authority. And the same is true with God. Except you will pay the consequences eventually. And and I believe one of Jesus' purposes was to keep people from facing the consequences, from, from encouraging them to repent and to yield to the authority and the power of Almighty God. When our will contradicts the will of God, it is 100% our job to change our will as quickly as possible. That's not a popular sentiment in today's world. We don't, we don't see many authorities that we ultimately respect, let alone fear. So Jesus answers their skepticism over his authority by posing a question. Verse 3, he answered them, I will also ask you a question. Now, tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, well, if we say from heaven, he'll say, why did did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. I love when Jesus does theological jujitsu with the Pharisees and the scribes. It's, it's fun to see. He puts them right in their place. He humbles them to his authority, and they can do nothing about it. They, 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 there is no way to get, nowhere to go with answering a question from Jesus. They try to trap him, and he turns the tables on them. Now, this is interesting because he asks about John's authority. You probably remember, but in case you forgot, turn to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3 is when Luke is describing John as the one who prepared the way, uh, similar to the way of Elijah. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley will be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the crooked shall become straight, the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Uh, This is chapter 3, now read in verse 16. 15, rather. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them saying, I baptize you with water. 
But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John knew. John knew exactly who his cousin Jesus was, that he was far more than his cousin. From the moment he was in the womb, remember, it was John who leapt. He knew his whole life was about knowing the way of the Lord and making way, making right the path, making straight the people, preparing their hearts for the authority and the power of Jesus Son of God. So Jesus is exposing the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the scribes and the elders. And yet, though they know his authority, they refuse to yield. That's one of the most heartbreaking things about a person who refuses to yield to the authority of God. So Jesus, being Jesus, tells a story. And we understand it, or call it commonly, the parable of the wicked tenants. As we read it, there are some elements that we might miss, but that they certainly would have understood. Read with me if you're following along, Luke chapter 20, verse 9 and following. And it began to tell the, t- the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. And while the time, when the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, and they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him Uh, sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third, and they also wounded and cast him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. When the tenants saw him, they him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard this, they said, surely not. In this parable of the wicked tenants, the the tenants presumed authority and they forgot who they were. And, And it's a story that is pointed at the, the leaders that he's, to whom he's addressing. But it's also directed to all of us. Because there is real danger in being a tenant and forgetting that you are not in charge. That you're not the owner. We talk a lot about stewardship at Northside, but not always with the financial aspect. I mean, to some degree that's true, but stewardship is simply the idea that what you have, whatever it is, be it your time, your family, your material blessings, anything that you might mistakenly call yours is in fact not yours. 
but a gift to you. And this, this idea of, of being a tenant is that simply you are not the owner. If any of you have uh, rental properties, you understand this, this idea that, that if you own the property, and people lease it from you or rent it from you, okay, they, they pay you to use that, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's not theirs. They can't make changes or adjustments to that. They, they can't just do whatever they want. They have to yield to the will of the owner. Now, Jesus is telling this story about a vineyard, and in their minds, they are immediately thinking of several Old Testament prophecies referring to the vineyard. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7, if you're scanning along in your, in your Bibles. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 7. Um, and, and we'll get to verse 7, but I want to read up to it. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. He hewed out a wine vat in it. He looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard was more What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste, that it shall be pruned and hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. And I will command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. 4, verse 7 the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. Jesus was speaking to them. He was recounting the story that God again and again and again had tried to redeem this people, this vineyard. And how did he do that? By sending his servants. Now, if you're still following along, turn to 2 Kings chapter 17. 2 Kings 17, verse 13. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commands and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you, catch this, by my servants, the prophets. Jesus is in a short story recounting their whole history. Jesus is is defining the relationship, as we might say in the modern vernacular. He he is examining, look look at what's happened between you and us, between God and his people, again and again and again. God sent his servants, the prophets, and you ignored them, or you beat them, or you killed them. And finally, now, and they don't, fully understand this, he sent his son. And they will not relent. They will not yield to his authority. They forget. They think they own the land. They think they're in charge. And they forget. The point leads us to verse 17, Luke chapter 20. But he looked directly at them and he said, What then is this that is written? 
And they have defied. They said, verse 16, surely not us. You're not talking to us. He says, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The challenge to God's authority can be, uh, as we said, direct outward defiance. The people of that time would have called tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners the outwardly defiant. The ones who were like the, the prodigal son, the younger son, who just defied the father and rebelled against him and squandered everything. But there is another more subtle, more dangerous, more more subtle, more dangerous type of defiance, and that is what I call passive-aggressive defiance. You know what passive-aggressive people are? Passive-aggressive people are people that you say, uh, I would like this done. And they, they kind of just don't do it. But they, don't, they don't just say, no, I'm not going to do that. They just kind of smile and be polite, and then they just don't do it. That's passive-aggressive. That's defiance. Uh, you, perhaps you have people like that in your workplace. You know, have an employee uh, or, or even a boss that defies the will of the owner, but does so in a polite and smiling way. Uh, these were the Pharisees and the chief priests and the scribes. They were much more so. They would claim all day long how they yielded to the authority of God. Look how they dressed. Look at the robes. Look at the phylacteries. Look at the way that they pray. Look at the way that they offer. They are living their entire lives in submission to the authority of God, at least so it seemed. But Jesus knew their hearts. Jesus understood, as Isaiah the prophet said, these people honor me with their lips, but in their hearts they are far from me. The chief priests and the scribes claimed the authority of God, but they refused to yield the prophets to the word and to his son. This picture of a cornerstone is, is a perfect one in the ancient building practice. Cornerstone was the chief principal stone after which everything else was laid in accordance and measurement to that stone. It was often the largest, the most solid, the most carefully constructed because everything else was, would be based around that to be 100% plumb and true and square and level. When Jesus says he himself is the cornerstone, he's saying something to us. He is saying he is the plumb and the level and the true and the square upon which we build the church. And by the way, the scriptures are 100% in agreement on this point. Uh, This is the picture for the the slide, but don't misunderstand. What's being said here is Uh, far more than just a a stone in a building structure. Isaiah 8, 13 through 15. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread, 
And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel and a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16 and 17. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. It was the perfect cornerstone. That, that metaphor continues not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 16. Scripture you probably are familiar with. Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 and following. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, probably a Sunday night crowd has heard many times. Need to spend too much time on it. But Jesus was not talking about building the church on Peter. Jesus was talking about, and if we understand the, the metaphor of cornerstone, Jesus was talking about himself. You, Petra, small stone. And on this rock, massive, foundational stone. Who, who is that? What is, what is this massive foundation of stone? Well, it's the verse right before. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The church to be built, founded on Him as chief cornerstone. And this is what Paul says, writing to the church, last verse at Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 2, 19-21. Consequently, You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. I was having a conversation with somebody this morning after services. They had an understanding. They said, well, you know, if all I need to do is repent and be baptized, is it really necessary for me to be at church? Thinking quickly, I thought, what is the most visual thing I can do? So I said, stick out your hand. And he did. And I took his finger and I said, is it okay if I cut that off? He said, well, no. I said, the scriptures tell us that we in Christ are the body of Christ. That every part needs all the others. If you are in Christ, that's repentance, baptism, what we talked about this morning, that gets you into the body. But why would you go then and, and remove yourself from the body? Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, every part needs to be functioning and present. May we build our lives on the chief cornerstone. This is the application part.
There is a God. I don't think a Sunday night crowd will argue with that. The second part is, he's not you. You're not in charge. I'm not in charge. A very helpful question is, then who's in charge? Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He is the cornerstone. We either yield to him or be crushed by him. So may we align our lives with him. May we yield to him. May we fear him. We let him be the standard. May his cornerstone be the standard for our lives as living stones. I want to finish by reading a section of scripture from 1 Peter chapter 2. And you'll oblige me, I would ask that you turn there to 1 Peter chapter 2. Verses 4 through 7. But you, I'm sorry, uh, verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying a, in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the stone, cornerstone. And the stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, they stumble because they catch this disobey the word as they were destined to do. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, look what Peter says. It's full circle here. Verse 13. Be subject... For the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put silence to the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. May we not forget that Jesus is the chief cornerstone, the ultimate authority. And as we live our lives, may we yield to him in every way. Now, my guess is that on a Sunday night, Sunday night crowd, as we near the 7 o'clock hour, 
that there are not many who are outwardly defiant toward the living God. That everyone here knows the reality of the Lord Almighty, eternity in hell, the seriousness of sin. My guess is that what we struggle with when it comes to authority is that subtle, passive-aggressive defiance of the heart. That little by little, refusing to yield to his righteous authority. Have you forgiven your enemies? Have you prayed for those who persecute you? Have you put first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? You can go through the teachings of Jesus and just simply ask yourself, have I yielded fully and totally, completely? Not just outwardly, but inwardly, where it counts the most. Tonight, if you have not been yielding to God and you need to repent in a public way or you would ask for our prayers, we're glad to do that with you. If you have not yielded uh, in the most eternal sense and prepared for eternity and to stand before the almighty living God, if you're not prepared to stand before him and if you are not in Christ, you are not. And I beg that you would come and we'll help you begin tonight by taking the first step toward Jesus and living a life for the rest of your days within Christ. If you have a need tonight, please come as together we stand and sing.